Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World, the podcast where we dive deep into all areas of natural language processing and conversational AI, find the best in the business, find out how they do what they do so that you can do what you do better. Thank you for joining me again. And thank you for everyone that joined us on our webinar last night with DeepGram and Illyrian AI, discussing how to create truly conversational AI in the voice channel. It was pretty well attended to be honest and everyone stuck around until the last minute we even had to overrun by 20 minutes to get through all the questions that people were asking so thank you everyone for attending thank you deep gram uh for for helping us put it together and for obviously sponsoring this episode of vux world uh if you don't know by now deep gram is a industry leading automatic speech recognition provider and if you'd have joined us last night at the webinar you'd have learned a bunch of different ways that you can actually use a deep gram tool the, the speech recognition that deep gram provides to tailor your use cases to your specific company and the way that your uh, people and, and customers speak, tailor that ASR model to give yourself the best possible chance of getting the most accurate input into your NLU system. Because if you feed rubbish into there, you're stacking up a whole bunch of problems for further down the line. So do check out deepgram.com forward slash VUX world if you are interested in learning more about that. That is deepgram.com forward slash VUX world. Another shout out to our presenting sponsor symbol ai symbol ai is industry leading conversational intelligence capabilities if you're a developer if you're technically minded you can use symbol ai to build a whole manner of different use cases that will allow you to access data within conversations that you didn't even know existed you can do things like topic summarization speaker diarization you can use it for quality assurance you can even build your own agent assist capabilities using the symbol ai technology the possibilities are absolutely endless check out symbol.ai for more information that's s-y-m-b-l dot a-i to learn more thank you to symbol and deepgram next week on tuesday i'm talking at an audio codes webinar all about how to easily and simply integrate your bots into any call center platform the last mile is the hardest thing to overcome you can have a really fancy uh, assistant that's working in a prototype or in a staging environment but getting it into your call center is incredibly difficult to do most organizations will actually host it on a different phone number and with that you miss out on a whole bunch of context you miss out on data that the organization has on the caller a whole handover between agents gets really clunky and there's a whole bunch more uh, that you can do if you integrate properly into your call center so i'm going to be covering some high level strategic tips that you need to be taking on board when you're thinking about automating calls in your call center and uh, elan avna will be showing you how to actually go about doing it any bot framework integrated into any call center really really simply and you can do it yourself so join us next week. Uh, it's it's going to be on Tuesday, and I will put the link down here in the chat if you're tuning in live, and also it will be in the show notes, obviously, uh, when this podcast is published on the various channels. And uh, lastly, the last thing I'll say is that we're also running another webinar, the second VUX World webinar, which is going to be on April 20th with Core AI, and we're going to be talking about agent assist use cases. The title is... Is AI coming for your job? And the reality, as we might find out today, is that no, that's not actually the case. Uh, AI is helping organizations and helping agents and call centers be more productive, answer more productive calls. But when they do that, how can you use AI technologies to empower agents on the phone, give them next best action, help them understand and, and find the information that they're searching for? And that's what we're going to be talking about on April the 20th. So please do join me and Raj Kaneru, CEO of uh, of core ai on april 20th and the link to that is on our events page vux.world forward slash events now without further ado we are going to be climbing into uh the mind of charles guth just now who is the con customer services manager at decathlon and decathlon have been using conversational ai uh on, on a bunch of different channels with a bunch of different use cases when we're talking to charles about the value uh that, that these ai assistants are providing to decathlon the learnings that he's had over the course of implementing this with decathlon the value that exists and some of the challenges that he faced and how he overcome them so without further ado charles Welcome to VUX World. Good afternoon. Hi, King. How are you? 
I'm very good, thank you. Very good, thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks for uh, bearing with us. I know we started a bit over. Um, typical uh, delivery issues on this side. Uh, the day it's quite a sunny day today, so I think that everyone's kind of just taking a very laid back approach to things. So the delivery drivers exactly. turned up four and a half hours late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's very nice. It's nice. It is nice. Yeah, we should be doing this kind of en route, shouldn't we, in a park or something like that? Well, next time maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. At least you've got a nice sunny background behind you. I look like I'm kind of trapped in space. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but thanks for joining us, Charles. Appreciate it. Uh, for those people who are not aware of yourself or maybe even not aware of Decathlon, perhaps it would be helpful to give us a little bit of background. Tell us a bit about yourself, about what you do at Decathlon. And for those that may not be familiar, what Decathlon, what Decathlon does. Yeah, of course. So, uh, well, to put it very simply, Decathlon is, uh, is pretty much the biggest sports retailer in the world. Um, so our goal is, is pretty much to uh, to share the benefits of sports with as many people as possible. So we sell a whole range of products, a whole range of services as well, uh, to to try and share uh, all the all the pleasure and, and all the benefits of sports with uh, with the UK people and and uh, every country that we're in, basically. Um, so that's that's for a quick introduction about Catherine. Uh, for me, as you said, I'm the customer service manager. Uh, for the UK, the online customer service manager. Um, so I'm managing the classic uh, channels, uh, emails, chats, uh, phone as well, even though we have a little bit of a different setup, maybe we can come back on that. Uh, and uh, and yeah, basically we started uh, accelerating on live chat and automation in AI about three years ago. Uh, and since then we've basically changed our whole way of doing customer service. So I think it'd be very interesting to uh, deep dive a little bit on that today. Mm, nice, nice. So three years ago, was this before the pandemic? Was it because of the pandemic? Um, it was a little bit before, uh, but the pandemic definitely uh, made us accelerate a lot on what our the idea of the project that we had. So we had, when we started three years ago, the idea was to change this in about five years. Uh, when the pandemic came, we had to do it in six months. So uh, <laughs> it was it was challenging, but uh, now we're in a, in a much better place. Nice, nice. And where did you where did you start? Then you mentioned I mean every channel you've mentioned there email, chat, online, phone. They're they're all conversational channels. Even websites these these days are becoming conversational channels with with live chat and all that kind of stuff. So. Where did you begin the journey? What channel, what use cases were you looking at originally? Um, well, if, if we take three years, the reason I take three years ago is because uh, we, we decided to change a little bit our vision of what customer service was going to be and to introduce much more automation to uh, specifically on, on non-added value tasks. Uh, and that's when we decided to change, change a few things. Um, so we, we, basically started by checking, okay, what do we want to work on? Uh, and the answer is pretty simple, really, uh, because the numbers speak for themselves. I'm pretty sure if we have people uh, watching that work in customer service, they already know the answer. Uh, where is my order? How can I return something? Uh, is your store open and when? Um, all these questions that pretty much have zero added value for the team and for the customer. Uh, but they are taking eighty percent of our time, so that's that's how it started, basically. Mm, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's um, and those things as well. They have the typical other constraints, which is that to speak to somebody about them, you can only do that when you're open. Um, which, exactly. which you know, for us and for people that work in that space, it's it's an obvious benefit of having more twenty four seven kind of access, but. Um, I think it's so sometimes it gets overlooked, but but the reality is that, you know, introducing those kind of like ability to be able to get an answer in a conversational channel at any time of day, presumably allows you to un, to, to tap into demand that, that might not have been there previously or that yeah. was untapped before. And t tap into something that wasn't there and also uh, remove something that was there before uh, and basically deflect it somewhere that you don't need to worry about it so much. Uh, but even us, bef before before we started all this project, um, we, we didn't realize that that much. Uh, you don't necessarily think that 
when we're not working, uh, people are still out there uh, because <laughs> you're just not used to it. Uh, but as, as a matter of fact, they are. Uh, and and we, we do realize that very much today with the, with the KPIs and the, the numbers that we, that we see. So, yeah, it was very important to, uh, to offer kind of a bigger coverage uh, for customers and, and coverage that makes more sense as well. Mm, interesting. You mentioned the future of customer service there. I wonder whether you can kind of share it, maybe a little bit more on, you know, you mentioned kind of trying to remove some of those like non-value added tasks and so that. I wonder if you can explain a little bit more about what Decathlon's vision for its customer service and customer experience is today now that you've been doing this for, for a little while. Yeah, well, if we if we take it back a little bit to the beginning, the idea was was pretty much to uh, to make our processes more efficient uh, internally, but mainly for customers. Uh, so on the questions that I mentioned, where is my order, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So non-added value tasks. Um, but the idea behind that is okay. Once we do that, what is the point behind this? Because we don't want to remove people. Uh, we have people with a lot of talents, that's why we recruited them. So how can we use them better than just answering to those non-added value questions? Uh, and that's the vision that we have today is we've worked a lot on the after sales part, thanks to automation. Uh, one of the reasons that we have a good setup on after sales now is all the implementation that we've done on that part. Now is how do we reinvest this? and this is a massive uh, project here at the Catherine UK, but also for the Catherine in the world is um, obviously with the pandemic, the online share of all our sales has gone up. Uh, it's the same for all the retailers, but the support that we offer hasn't gone up uh, as quick. And that's the problem. And today we have a great support when you go in store, uh, if you need any advice on the technical products, and we have a lot of those, uh, you'll find someone to help you. If you go online, you'll find a lot of details on one of the product pages, but you won't necessarily find someone to help you as quickly and as efficiently as in store. And that's the big problem today. And we need to close that gap. And the leverage that the automation is giving us to try and uh, reallocate resources is going to go towards that. Mm, very interesting. So, so the the AI assistants are taking up some of the some of the demands, some of the more simple simple, I suppose, use cases. Where are you reallocating those resources? Is it more in the kind of like white glove services, live chat capacity for complex use cases and stuff like that? Or I wonder if you can shed a bit of light on on where agents and and resources are being reallocated now that you've got uh, so, you know some AI assistants. So basically, what we are building today um, at the moment. We, well, until six months ago, let's say, um, we had a classic customer service uh, with only customer service agent replying to order deliveries and things like that. Um, today, we are building kind of a second customer service, if, if, I must, if I can say, that is going to be dedicated only on products. Okay, so only to answer to technical questions about bikes, about tents, about kayaks, to first help people make the right choice when they need to buy something. And second, uh, help people uh, repairing uh, or building or being more technical with their product. Um, today, we don't have that except for bikes. That's the first team that we built because obviously during the pandemic, everyone wanted a bike. Mm -hmm. So we had, we had a big need. Uh, but the idea is this is where we're going to reallocate those resources. How can we use people that we don't need anymore on non-added value tasks to help more customers, to sell more products, and to help customers when they have an issue with, with their product. So technical questions that a chatbot might not be able to answer because it's a little bit too complex sometimes, and you do need a human at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, basically selling more products, helping more customers. Mm, nice, nice. And so, so what are the channels that you kind of operate today from a from a well? Maybe let's start with with a, from a customer service point of view. You mentioned email, chat, website, phone. Is there any other channels that not necessarily AI enabled, but any other channels that we've missed out on that you utilize for customer service? Um, well, apart from those three, we have custom, um, social media. 
okay. basically, so Facebook, Twitter, um, and we use well chat, WhatsApp, uh, Google Business Messaging as well. Um, and what's interesting is that basically during the pandemic, uh, the first thing that we did was close our phone lines. Um, it was because, to be honest, we didn't really have a choice. It was uh, too much, too much to right. handle. Uh, we were not ready. I don't think anyone was. Mm. Uh, but the very interesting thing is that at the same time, we really pushed automation with our partner, with different integration for API, for order tracking, etc., etc., to make sure that we offered an alternative to our phone lines that was good enough so that customers wouldn't need it. That was well, about two years ago, March 2020. Um, to this day, we still haven't reopened our phone lines. Wow. And our customer satisfaction has gone up 10 or 12 points overall. So that says a lot about the change of customers' expectations in terms of which channels do you need, but also the power of automation when it comes to uh, deflecting and changing the way you do things, basically. Wow. So you so you don't have any phone lines open at all? No, not at all. Uh, we do have the ones in store uh, for store-specific store questions. Mm. But for our online customer service, we do not have any phone line open, and we are handling about five to 6,000 contacts every week. Wow. Wow, that is impressive. I've 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 heard um, a couple of companies in the past closing their phone lines from a almost like a brute force point of view. Go and use the website, you know. Stop calling us. Whereas, what's interesting and, and what ends up happening there is that you're dealing or, or you're left with what is likely an inadequate website because there's a reason why people are calling in the first place. So it's interesting how how you are kind of not closing the phone lines for the. For, specifically to try and force people into other channels, but because you just genuinely couldn't cope with the demand. But then also that's having how it the infrastructure. That's, yeah. that's how it started. It went a little bit different after because we managed to basically offer a good alternative to people. That's what I'm saying. That's what I was kind of getting around to is that you you didn't close your phone lines and basically say, go and deal with the rest of the channels that we have. You closed your phone lines and then went and invested specifically in those other channels with an automation lens which is quite a yeah it's quite a unique perspective and you know in hindsight you'll probably say quite a brave thing to do yeah well it's uh that's that's what i was mentioning at the beginning that was always the idea uh but obviously the we in our mind that transition was going to take much longer uh and just the uh the the covid and the pandemic just changed changed everything so we had to accelerate a lot on that Interesting. So, so you mentioned WhatsApp, Google business messaging, social media, email, uh, live chat. Yeah. What's of those channels? Where is there currently today a kind of AI assistant presence? Um, so we have on Messenger, on WhatsApp, and on Google business messaging. Interesting. Yeah. Are they, are they all handling the same use cases? Is it the same assistant in each channel or is, is there some variation? Yes, we have the same, the same in each channel, yeah. Interesting. And, and where, did, where did you start? So let's go. So WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, and Google My Business? Yes, correct. Exactly. Interesting, interesting. Where did you start then? Which one did you start with? Uh, we started with Messenger because at the time when we started, we didn't have WhatsApp. We only had Messenger and Google's business messaging. And Messenger was taking about 95% of the conversation. So that's uh, that's basically where we started. Uh, and yeah, the, the idea was to try and build a customer journey that is simple and quick and efficient at the same time um, so that people can find the answers quickly. And uh, and try to deflect as much as possible during COVID all the questions that we we were getting all the time. Mm, interesting. Um, we've got some questions coming through. I'll, I'll get to these in a minute, Tatiana. Um, in just one sec. Um, interesting. So 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 you began with Facebook Messenger, and that was handling ninety percent of conversations. Did you say? Uh, between just uh, between Messenger and Google Business Messaging, I meant. Okay. Uh, overall, uh, overall, when we started, so we had emails and uh, and messenger. Uh, it was and Google Business Messaging. The live chat part, so 
Messenger and Google Business Messaging was taking about, I would say, 25 to 30%. And the email was taking all the rest. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so, so you presumably then started with those kind of straightforward use cases, did you, on those channels? Where's my delivery, general Q&A, that kind of stuff? Yeah, so we built, uh, we already had FAQs on our website, so we pretty much used those, uh, changed, of course, the text to make it a little bit shorter and adapted to uh, to the kind of live chat uh, frame. Uh, but that was the base. And then we did a few integrations as well so that customers can track their order automatically, for example, uh, and a few questions about bikes availability and, and this kind of thing, which was the hot topic at the moment. Uh, the store locator as well, I think at the time, it was probably the biggest one because uh, the stores were opening, closing. Some of them were partially opened. Uh, some of them were not open at all. And it was changing all the time. So the fact that we were able to have that store integration on our live chat and update it almost in real time, uh, it was a massive help for our customers first and for our customer service second because they had to deal with a lot less of those queries. Mm, interesting. How did you get, so like part of the, well, if you look at, I know that Tatiana had a question about Amazon Alexa and, and Google Assistant and stuff like that. And I've had a lot of experience in working with those in the past. And the part of the problem of those channels is that you need to try and persuade people to stop doing something on another channel and start taking up that behavior on a new channel, which is a smart speaker. With the call center, for example, you've got that adoption kind of baked in. People call the phone number. If they hit a bot, then they hit a bot. They'll likely just talk to it. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about how you kind of like, when you implemented the, the Facebook Messenger and then Google My Business bot, did you do anything to kind of like try and encourage the adoption of those channels? Or was it just because there was natural uh, usage there that people just started using it? Um. Well, so if you go on our contact us page, and it hasn't changed much uh, since then, um, one thing that we did to try and redirect the traffic to those channels is uh, very simple. Uh, you have the list of the different contact options. So uh, at the time, it was Messenger, Google Business Messaging, and email. Uh, under Messenger and Business Messaging, we just said we reply within one hour. And under email, we reply within 24 hours. Um, just to try and drive that traffic towards the channels where we knew we had the automation and that capacity to try and deflect some of the contacts that we were getting. Interesting. That's good. Because emails are, ten emails are historically just a nightmare to deal with anyway, aren't they? So you don't really want to encourage that. It's, yeah, and, and the thing about email is uh, even if we reply in the same amount of time, there's still going to be a back and forth yeah. uh, that is going to take much longer than a back and forth on chat if the conversation does end up going to a human. So mm -hmm. chat's just much, much more efficient. You can deal with several chats at the same time for emails to be less uh, user-friendly. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, and even for customers, I think as well, uh, it's just, uh, it's probably a new, new habit. Um, less and less people use emails, more and more people are gonna use WhatsApp or Messenger or live chat or, so I think there's a bit of both. We managed to redirect some of the traffic and I think it's, it was just natural as well, just by people mm -hmm. habits. Interesting. Out of those channels, WhatsApp Messenger and Google Business Messaging, where would you say kind of like most of the usage is? Like on that Contact Us page, there's a list of them. Where are most people kind of gravitating to? Um, so we've got about, um, I would say 10% going to Google Business Messaging. Uh, and WhatsApp and Messenger are pretty much equal, 45% each, more or less. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, so when you go on our contacts page, the widget at the bottom right where the live chat button is, is the Messenger widget. Uh, and right. within the options, you have WhatsApp and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so basically, customer have both. And uh, what is important is that we added a guest option on the Messenger widget because not all customers are comfortable with putting their Facebook or Messenger account on, on, on any website. Uh, and yeah, right now they have about 45% of contacts each within the live chat scope, let's say. Mm, interesting. That's really interesting. Um, I think Google My Business is a really sort of untapped area. I've never actually, you're the first person I've spoke to who's actually implemented something in that channel. And I've thought, I've thought for a long time that it's got tremendous value because what do people do when they Google a business? The first thing that comes up 
is the Google My Business listing on the right-hand yeah. side. You've mm-hmm. got the opening times and all that kind of stuff. And, and I've always thought that Google, a Google messaging, uh, Google business messaging option is, uh, is a fantastic idea. It's, it's very good because uh, it has a lot of benefits. The, the first one for us is that uh, people in store have a million things to do. Mm-hmm. So they are not as available as we can be in the customer service to answer customers' questions uh, on the phone or even if they have their own WhatsApp or, or something. Uh, and customers most of the time have simple questions uh, about the different services that we have in store for workshops or for restraining rackets or things like this. We have all this information. So if we've got any question coming about any store, we can just answer it in a minute. We're probably in the store. It might take a little bit longer, um, which which is a shame. And uh, all this uh, for customers and for people in store is it's it's massive value because again, for people in store, it takes away some less added value tasks, let's say, than what they already have to do. Um, so they can focus on the customers that are present in the store or on making sure that the store is is good for customers. And for us, it doesn't necessarily change our job in any way. So it's just just a win-win for everyone. Mm, that's wicked, that yeah. That's that's quite nice, that actually. How you've got a centralized team dipping into localized kind of use cases. It's quite an interesting scenario. It, it, it takes it takes a lot of uh, takes a lot of work to make sure that this, that centralized team, which is us, have the right information. Mm. So we have a lot of contacts with the store to make sure that all the information we have about them, uh, the different services that they have, or the uh, click and collect availability or something like that is accurate. Because obviously we don't want to give wrong information to our customers. Mm, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. So so how did you approach the sort of design of these things? I'm assuming, you know, being a customer services manager, I'm assuming that it was fairly straightforward for you to identify, you know, the use cases that you wanted to, to tackle first. Given the, given the strategy of, of trying to minimize the kind of non-value added contacts and stuff like that, but yeah. what was your approach in the actual design and development of this stuff? So um, basically, we at the very beginning, uh, it was very much focused on after sales because we that's that was our main concern pretty much at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had FAQs, and then we have different options for uh, order, return, deliveries, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, with different integration in each flow. Um, that lasted for about two and a half years. And about a year ago, we said, all right, now we're good on after sales. So how can we change things a little bit so that we can not only work on after sales, but also use that automation to drive business, drive traffic and drive business. So we basically changed the architecture of the chatbot to make it much more simple for the customers. So if you go on our chatbot now, you will have basically three point of entry. Uh, either uh, one, the first one that is called my order, where you will either be able to track your order or to organize the return of your order because those two questions are 90% of questions that are coming in about orders. Mm-hmm. You'll have a second one that is going to be on products. And this one, we are going, we are working very hard to develop it as much as possible. So in this one, again, you'll have two options, either help with my product that you already have or buy a new product. So help with my product, the idea is to give as much information to customers so that they can be autonomous. Uh, so for example, if you go in the bike section, you'll have information on how to build your bike. Uh, which spare parts can you use for this specific uh, item in your bike, etc., etc. And you have the same for fitness machines, for electronics, etc. Et in buy your product, the idea is that a customer is going to come and say, I'm looking for this. And we're going to show him a carousel of... 10 products uh, with some product information and depending on the conversion rate, for example, we can just choose the metrics of how those products are going to be displayed uh, and with an add to cart button so that basically we can try and use that to start driving sales and driving revenue through the chatbot because at the end of the day, in that flow, we currently have an add to cart button, but if you think a little bit further and you have an integrated payment solution, you could basically have customers that are going to buy a product using only automation, mm-hmm. which is going to be amazing because that gives you another point of entry within your business that doesn't re- even require human intervention. 
Mm, and something that can be extended and repurposed into an infinite number of channels, basically, providing they support the payments capability, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that, that works for everything. Uh, any channel that basically we have the automation on, we can just build that uh, build that uh, build that flow, as you said, as long as they have the capability of having an integrated payment within. Yeah. And here you go. Nice, nice, wicked. And so, and so you're you're using the Heyday technology, which was acquired by Hootsuite not so long ago. We've had Anna Ralph on the podcast from Heyday, uh, really good episode for those of you tuning in. If you're interested in how to break into conversation design and and you know learning from people who've uh, taken different paths into it, then definitely check out the episode we did with Anna Ralph. That was definitely worth checking out. And we talk a bit about Heyday in there as well. Um, was was there a kind of what was the logic behind arriving at Heyday? Were you already a Hootsuite customer? Like, where did that journey begin? Uh, so it began it began three years ago actually. Uh, that's when we started working together. Uh, we were working with another supplier at the time, and our vision was to try and build more and more automation uh, and more and more efficient automation. Um, it wasn't the, at the time that other partner we were working with was less strong than Heyday on that point. Uh, so that's why we had a meeting with Heyday. They presented us why is their, what was their vision at the time on automation, after sales, sales, etc. And we kind of recognized our vision as well on what they were trying to build and what, try, what they were trying to do. So that's how we ended up working together. Uh, and now, yeah, it's been three years. And I think in, in those three years, we kind of uh, went in the direction that we step, we set originally which is great so uh, now we just need to build the next three years together nice nice um and so is it your team that's kind of practically using the tools is it kind of like a managed service how does the the, the actual physicality of, of making this stuff happen uh yes yeah, so we've got teams separated by channels so we've got one team working specifically on emails, one team working specifically on live chat on live channels, let's say, uh, because within the tool you have all the live channels that we mentioned. So the Google My Business, WhatsApp, Messenger, uh, all these are within Heyday. So my team is working on a day-to-day basis uh, on uh, on all the conversations that are coming in uh, from those channels on Heyday. Nice, nice. What was the what was the kind of um from three years ago, beginning that journey around automating these conversations, what would you say some of the kind of learnings that you might have that you might be able to share with people who might not have done it yet or haven't maybe built something for, maybe it's something ch- channel specific, maybe they haven't done something for Google My Business yet or WhatsApp or whatever. Like, I wonder if we can get into some of the learnings that you and your team have found from, from designing and implementing these conversations. Yeah, um, I, I think the three points that I mentioned before are, are very important. So, uh, being quick, being relevant, and being efficient. Uh, when we when we built uh, the first time our uh, chatbots, we had I think some of these points, maybe not all of them. Uh, but the first point, the quickness. Uh, nobody wants to spend twenty minutes uh, going round and round in circles on a chatbot. So we tried to make a flow in different flows. Uh, that don't take too long for the customer to find the answers, and I think that's that's very important. Mm. Uh, and and the, the two others uh, being relevant and being efficient, uh, they are going hand in hand. Um, so the most important thing is build the right path for your customers. But then, again, once you've done that, what do you do next? And you need to analyze uh, weekly to try and understand what are your customer, why is your customers' feedback on those paths that you created, uh, which ones are good, which ones could be improved, and how they can be improved. And that's the work that we are doing uh, in the Cathon and uh, hand in hand with Heyday uh, to try and every week analyze what are the conversations that have the best rating, uh, what are the conversations that have the, the worst one, uh, and what are the customers saying. So we have basically a thumbs up and down system, which is very simple and very classic for customer to say if something has been helpful or not. Uh, if I have one one specific flow that has 60% of negative feedback, okay, what are the customers saying behind that? So it's just about analyzing the conversations to find out the keywords that the customers are mentioning and then just feeding the NLU 
on what what was the misunderstanding on that point and how can we try and avoid it in the future so it's uh, it's very important uh, and not very easy to build the right path uh, and but once you've done that the work basically just started because then behind you <laughs> you need to follow very very closely what's going on otherwise you might just not be aware that things are going wrong for some of your some of your customers Mm. Or maybe all of them, as uh, you or know. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's very hard because, and that's where a lot of people fall down. Or at least did. I think things have gotten better these days, but um, definitely over the over the years, you'd have you know organisations that would deploy something, having not tested it with a, a customer group or what have you. So they're totally blind leading up to actually going live with it, and then they go live with something without any analytics capabilities, and so you almost kind of just let an employee loose on the web site with absolutely no visibility exactly. or no monitoring whatsoever absolutely um, yeah and yeah and it's it's interesting because actually yeah i think the analytics part is is the, the main key pretty much it's uh without it you just as you said you're blind and you you can't you can't do anything uh and one of one of the very important points that you mentioned is uh getting the feedback directly from your customer and testing with your customer. And that's something that we did uh, in September last year. We invited some customers in our offices to have a workshop specifically on the chatbot topic. And we learned a lot of things. And I think uh, it was it was definitely following this specific workshop uh, that we had a clearer idea of what our new chatbot path was going to be. And it was it was great because they told us things that for them were super obvious, mm. but that we would have never thought about. Because when you're inside every day, all the time, you just miss things that are obvious for your customers. That's why it's super important, not only to get feedback through analytics, but also direct feedback. And it's great to talk to your customers about it. Yeah, definitely. I think every every designer who's done uh, any amount of user research, which I would hope all of them have, <laughs> but it's one of the very first things that you find out is that basically most of your decisions are completely assumptions. And that's true with, with graphical user interfaces, but it's compounded with a conversational user interface where you're only ever designing one half of the conversation and your conversational partner doesn't exist. And so you need to get it in front of them because it's the same as the principles is the same as testing with the, with a user group for any other product as well, is that it doesn't matter how empathetic the design team believes themselves to be you're not actually a customer in that buying context with the life that they have, the situation they're in. So it's very difficult to replicate. Everything. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Very difficult to do. Um, interesting. So, so you obviously built up a, a good amount of capabilities and skills and um, experience in creating these conversational assistants. Uh, on a chat channel, it's quite easy to to kind of like use guardrails, you know, so you mentioned there at the beginning, if, you, if someone enters the top of the kind of the bot at the beginning, they can go down the, is it a new product thing? Is it a, is it a, um, you know, a, a post sales kind of conversation? What's your approach to that kind of conversation design element? Do you use a lot of like suggestion chips and buttons? Do you rely on more freeform dialogue? Like I'm wondering if you can talk us through some of the design decisions that were made in terms of how your bot communicates. So uh, at the moment, we've got a bit of both. Uh, we have some buttons, so suggestions basically for customers. But all the way through the conversations, then we always have the opportunity to just send a message instead of clicking on something. So throughout the conversation, the customer will always have the possibility either to click on something or to send a message. That's great because that leaves basically uh, kind of free will to the customer. Uh, and we don't want the customers to get stuck at any point. And that's also why in the process of building it, uh, we have put our transfer button a little bit everywhere not everywhere, but in strategic places so that we make sure that the customer is not stuck. Uh, and I think that's very important because today, if you go on different chatbots, in some of them, uh, you do end up stuck sometimes and it's very annoying. Uh, and it's made, not all the time, but sometimes on purpose. So you're going to find the talk to agent button at the end, the very, very end of a flow. It's the same thing when you're on the phone and you have to click one million thing on automated and only one of them out of 100 is going to take you to someone. And it's, it's very, very annoying. So 
for us, uh, we're obviously looking at the automation rates, but uh, still being conscious that we made it on purpose so that we don't have 90% of automation rate. Because it's great you have 90%, but what's behind it? If you have 90% instead of 50, but the 40% difference is just people that are going to leave frustrated and send you an email instead, then there's no point. Yeah, exactly. It's the whole, my gripe is with the concept of containment rate, which is um, a bit of a fallacy. As you said, if you contain 90% of conversations, but 50% of them were bad, <laughs> then it's kind of defeated the object, you know? Exactly. Uh, how, how do you approach getting into that level of detail then? I've seen a lot of different uh, ways of doing this from tagging to kind of like having specific intents at the back end of conversations to rating conversations. Was it good or bad? Did this answer your question? Yes or no? Lots of different ways that you can kind of, you know, assume that somebody's got to an end of a conversation and therefore it's been successful. What are your thoughts on, on how to measure the quality of an actual individual conversation? And I wonder if you can talk us through how you're measuring the success of it. Um, so different things. The first one is uh, customers have the opportunity to rate their conversations uh, on every conversations they have with the chap. Uh, and obviously we have access to this data behind. Um, the idea now of this data is that it's regrouped within categories, right? So for example, uh, delivery questions or, or order questions or returns questions, etc., etc. And within those categories, uh, we have a little bit more granular analysis. <clears throat> so in delivery, we have uh, delivery policies or delivery, etc., etc., etc. Right. And the idea is, all right, I'm going to analyze what is the main category that is the worst rated within that main category. What is the subcategory that has the worst rating that is taking the score down? Mm -hmm. And within that subcategories, can I extract those conversations and go and watch myself what has been happening with those customers? So that, because maybe we haven't understood. One, one very simple example that I can give you is uh, last month, uh, we had an FAQ that was called, how can I cancel my order? It's a very simple FAQ. There was a little link to a video that explained you how to cancel your order, etc., etc. Very simple. Uh, by analyzing those conversations, we realized that literally 100% of customers going in that flow were going there because they hold, their order had already been canceled. So right. basically, the information that was there was completely irrelevant. Mm. And we saw that because of those ratings, subs, subs, subs down. Uh, we changed completely the FAQ so that it's more relevant to uh, orders cancellation and not how to cancel something. So it's a very simple, well, simple, no. It's a, it's a straightforward job to do, uh, but it's, uh, it's very important to do it and to do it regularly to make sure that you keep up to date on the customer's expectation, basically. Mm, nice, nice. You mentioned it, like transfers a few times. Another way that you can monitor the success of the conversation is looking at where those transfers are being made and whether it's at the kind of appropriate point or not. I'm wondering what your kind of, it sounds as though you have a fairly uh, liberal approach to, to agent escalation, which I think is the right approach to have. If, if someone ultimately is not getting what they want and they want to speak to someone, then the best thing to do is to let them do that. Um, I'm wondering whether you can talk us through some of the decisions that, you, that you've made as far as how the whole agent transfer and escalation stuff works. Yeah, so uh, well, it's it's uh, it's interesting because we we're coming back to uh, to the same topics a few times because uh, yeah. basically originally uh, the agent transfer um, was made only to our customer service. So the different options that we were giving to customers uh, to choose where they wanted to be transferred were basically customer service reasons. So same order deliveries, returns, etc. Uh, with that new vision that we've had for the past year of developing uh, sports support online, we changed this. And now the customer, when transferring to an agent, is going to choose not a reason of customer service, but a sport. So we kind of replicated a little bit the organization that we have in store per sport category uh, with one customer service point. And the customer will either come to customer service, which is us, or choose their sports and we'll talk directly to an expert. So it's kind of changing the mindset a little bit of saying, all right, uh, we're not only a customer service anymore. We are a customer service on one side and 
a sales or technical support uh, pool on the other side. And the customer can have the choice between those two. Mm, nice, nice. So, so what has the kind of impact been? So you had, you had a situation where COVID happened, you get a flood of stuff happening online, as, as many retailers have. You have uh, phones ringing off the hook to the point where, you know, it's it's impossible to handle the demand. You've invested a lot in, one, automating a lot of these conversational channels, and then, two, driving kind of adoption of these channels. You've got a lot of experience in building out the conversations within those channels and, and you know, reflecting the new state of the organization as far as kind of sales and support is concerned. How are you measuring the success of this at a, at a high level? So rather than like, you know, a percentage of conversations that were good or bad, like what is the business value that this thing is delivering and how are you measuring that? Mm-hmm. So I was mentioning earlier uh, that when we launched, we had about 25 to 30% of conversations going through the live channel scope and 70% or 75 through emails. Uh, at the time, in the 25% of the live channels conversations, we had about 10 to 15% automated when we very, very started, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's pretty much nothing of on the overall of conversations. Where we are now is that we switch completely. We have 70 to 75% going through live channels. So Messenger, WhatsApp, business messaging, etc., And the rest, so 25 to 30% on emails. Out of those 70 to 75%, we have about 40% that are fully automated. So if you think about it, we went from on overall, 3% maybe of all of our conversations automated to right now on the overall customer service, more than 30%. So that's more than 10 times uh, increasing the rate of automation, which means that We've been able, as I was saying before, to reallocate resources from our old customer service, let's say, uh, to more interesting projects. So one of them being uh, the product uh, sales and support, but also other projects as well for, from people that have moved from the customer service to our communications team or our marketing team or all the different teams that we've got in the office. So right now we have a little bit less people that we used to have in the customer service. Uh, but the people that were there and are not there are still within the castle, didn't fire anyone. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but they're, they're just doing more interesting things. And even for the people that we have in the customer service, uh, their job is, is much more interesting now. So. Interesting. That's really good. That is really good stuff. What would your kind of like, um, what would any of your pointers or bits of advice being to people who, uh, are looking to explore the same kind of thing. We've spoke about kind of advice around conversation design and stuff like that. I'm thinking more along the lines of, you know, you, you spoke well about use cases, starting with simple use cases, um, having agent escalation in the right kind of places, you know, how to kind of get people to adopt certain channels and stuff like that. And we've covered a lot of kind of best practice, but is there any other kind of advice that you would give someone in your position who is who is yet to do this? Um, well, I think the first advice is probably don't don't be shy. Uh, it's it's a big step to take uh, betting, let's say, on uh, on automation for your company. Um, it's not easy, and, uh, and and the task can seem quite big at at, at first, and it is. But down the line, it's hundred percent worth it. So I would say don't be shy. And the second one, I think it's very important as well, uh, is find the right partner for you. Find a partner that is sharing your vision. Uh, we all have different companies and all different visions. And it's exactly the same for AI or live chat or, or all those companies. And I think it's very important to make sure that you're aligned on what you're trying to do and the time frame you're trying to do it to do it in. Uh, because otherwise you, it might you might get issues down the line with your partner, which obviously you don't want. So I think it's something not to not to overlook to properly look at uh, you first and what you're trying to do and then look at the market and see what's aligned with your strategies. Mm, that's very good advice that because I've, I've seen so many organizations who are switching out chatbot providers. In fact, you mentioned it yourself even went through the same thing, you know, is that a lot of hasty decisions are made when 
there's a rush to kind of climb on the AI bandwagon and it's like any vendor will do or, or the bosses look at them and all of a sudden you kind of get into a relationship where, you know, you end up either choosing the wrong technology type you know, if you are predominantly chat-based and you all of a sudden want to extend into a voice channel, having the wrong partner can can potentially provide something to think about there. Or you might provide, you might have a partner that, that doesn't really, isn't able to handle use cases in your industry as well as another who might have, you know, specific yeah. domain knowledge. Like Heyday, for example, was always about retail. retail. And so it's, exactly. it's NLU is retail focused, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's very good. That's very good. So fi- final steps then. What is the, you kind of mentioned about the advancement of the use cases and stuff like that. What's the what's the plan and what would you like to see happen over the next kind of 12 months? Is it more transactional, different channels? Like what's, what's your thoughts? Um, yeah, so we, we're going to uh, probably develop a different, uh, add some more channels. For example, we didn't mention Instagram today uh, because we obviously do have Instagram within the Catalan UK, but it's not yet within our scope uh, but at some point it's going to make sense to integrate it especially when we're going to have more and more cells uh, going through heyday and uh, and that's the second point really i think with with heyday now we are in the process for example of switching the products database that we have so that we have a products database that is much more accurate because one of the big strategies that we've got is to push the cells through the automation uh, and through our teams that we are building of, of product experts. So for 2022, it's going to be it's going to be the the major project. Nice, wicked. Well, best of luck. I am a fan. Of, I'm a fan of Hade, as I've said before. Uh, big fan of Anna and the team, and it sounds as though you're having some real success. So congratulations on it all, and look forward Thank to uh, look forward to seeing where it goes. Yeah, well, uh, it's let's meet let's meet in uh, let's meet one year and we'll see. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, that's, that sounds good to me. Uh, cool. Well, Charles, thank you. This has been absolutely immense. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for tuning in uh, on the on the podcast. And if you've been watching it live, uh, apologies we didn't get to those questions. I think maybe we might be able to circulate back around them on YouTube uh, in a little while. Um, but yeah, it's been absolutely immense. Don't forget to join us uh, on Tuesday for the webinar with audio codes. The the links will be in the show notes and there the chat and also on the 20th of april for the webinar on how to empower your agents with ai assist capabilities with core ai on april 20th uh so that is that is that if you haven't yet subscribed please do so vux.world forward slash subscribe you get all the invitations to all of these immense discussions with people like charles every single week sometimes twice a week in fact mostly twice a week uh helping you craft uh conversational agents and nlp solutions that deliver real value for your business so thank you very much for joining us and thank you again charles it's been a pleasure Thank you, Ken. See you. Cheers.